Prepare your heart to be moved by God through the preaching and teaching of His Word as delivered at Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. What I want to focus on in uh, 1 Samuel 30 where we're extracting this series from 400 Strong that David, after encouraging himself, hearing the word of the Lord that says, pursue and without fail ye shall recover all, right? After hearing that, he's going forward to get his stuff back from the enemy. But as he's going forward, he finds out that everybody in the army is not ready to fight. Only 400 is ready to fight. The other 200, excuse me, the other 200, excuse me, the other 200 are sick and tired and frustrated and weak, don't know what to do with themselves. The other 200 are delirious from the previous fight. They don't know what to do with themselves. They are discouraged. And so I begin to say to us that everybody in the church can't be weak. There's no way we're going to finally get what God wants us to have if we have a whole church where everybody's weak. Everybody, we don't need, that's the 200. 200, we understand there are people in the church going through things. But everybody can't go through, uh, go, been going through, at least not at the same time. We need somebody who says, I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. I'm built up. I know my purpose and I'm ready to fight. We can't have a church where everybody is sick and everybody is broke and disgusted and no one knows their destiny. We got to have 400, say 400 strong. We got to have 400 strong. This 400 strong series is important because it teaches us not just to build 400, but it teaches us to care for 200. I taught you the lesson. We're going to make sure everybody understand it. We don't just run to our destinies, the 400, and forget the 200. Because the 200 are still a part of us. They may be weak right now, but tell them if you hug them, they're going to be better tomorrow. They may be weak right now, but if you feed them, they'll grow. Come on, somebody. They may be weak right now, but if they get in Bible study, they get in prayer, they start fasting. They'll overcome whatever is ailing them. So we don't forget about the 200, even though the 400 are ready to go forth. What we also find out in the 400 strong is that when the devil took stuff from the people of God in 1 Samuel 30, not only did the devil take stuff, everybody say stuff. He took stuff from David. He took his children. He took their possessions. He took uh, their wives. He took all their materialistic things. So there are some fights in our lives that we got to go reclaim the stuff. Say the stuff. Oh, the devil has messed with our families. He has messed with our marriages. He has messed with our kids. God spoke to me. I got something for our kids coming up too. All right. But God, he has messed with our stuff. Say our stuff. Say I want my stuff back. Come on. There has to be some type of people who refuse to be a doormat of the enemy and let the enemy just drag his feet on your life put his mud and his mess on your life sooner or later you get up and you say I want my stuff say I want my stuff but I want you to understand the devil did not only take stuff he also took standards we've lost our standards 
our standards of conduct we've lost our values we've lost our construct we've lost our mission our ethics and our morals tell somebody we got to get our standards back so we got to get our standards back we got to get our values back and I believe that people can hear Jesus when we testify but I do believe that there is a silent witness to the believer that even when you're not talking something about you says that you are a believer the Bible calls it being peculiar that when people watch you you ain't got to walk around all day with the Bible talking about Jesus 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 ba 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 to 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 you ain't got to do that all day there should be something about your conduct and your behavior that begins to exemplify that you've been with Jesus it's called standards so we're not just fighting to get our stuff back tell someone we fighting for standards we're fighting for standards and I try to introduce this message uh, on first Sunday of this this month with the title bring back the Saints everybody say bring back the Saints and what I mean by that message the Saints is a terminology that we're losing in the church the Saints represent people who live the word apply the word and overcome situations because of the word that's who the Saints are the Saints are people who got testimonies and experiences and God has brought them out there are people who've been through broke, busted, disgusted, been tried, been tested, been stretched, but they're still holding on to God. To tell somebody, those are the saints. We also recognize saints don't mean old people. Because that's what's wrong with some parts of the church today. We got a lot of saved people waiting to be saints. And when are they going to become saints? When they old with gray hair. When they coming in here on a cane talking about arthritis, not that any of y'all old people walking in here with a cane and what talking, I'm talking about arthritis. But yeah, yeah. Oh, some that's right. Somebody say I'm already 30 with gray hair. So so that ain't the case. My point is, we're not talking about people who waste their youth living for the devil and living for God at the same time. And all of a sudden, when they hit 50 and 60, we're talking about give God the rest of my life. No, that ain't what we're talking about. We're talking about young people, no matter how old you are, moving into a place of maturity where you are now being called saints. Oh, that's what we're missing. We're missing the saints in the church of God. We're missing the saints in the church. Tested, tried, and true, sturdy people. People that don't give up because something happened yesterday. People don't skip church for two months and it takes a three-month revival and a resuscitation plan to get them back to their salvation. Oh, yeah. People who hanging in there and say, for God, I live. And for God, I die. We also lost that type of language. We're losing language. We've lost that language. We've lost language that say, for God, I live, for God, I die. We've lost those songs, and I'm not advocating necessarily to go for the go back to the old landmark. You know, there's some churches, all they want to do is go back. I want to go back to the old landmark. We're going back. I'm not going back. I'm going forward. Because God's best is ahead of us. I thank God. 
God for all the pioneers, all the men and women of God who have labored before us, but God's best is not back in 1900 Azusa Street. That was good, but I guarantee you if I be a man of God and according to Bible, God's best revival hadn't happened yet. God's best reformation hadn't happened yet. The best of God is not behind us, but ahead of us. So I'm not talking about going back to the old landmark and going to spend services only singing old songs because the new songs ain't got no God in it. Yeah, I ain't never heard that. Some of y'all ain't never been around some church folks who don't like other songs. They just think we need to sing the same old songs all the time. Well, I'm not advocating for that. So some of y'all who thought that's what I was saying, I was, oh, I'm about to hear my song every Sunday. No, that's not what I'm saying. All right, tell somebody we're going forward. So bringing back the saints was that message to say we need saints. Let me tell you the major point in that message is going to connect me to where I'm going today. In verse six of first, verse uh, five in first Corinthians, let's go to verse five. Let's go right into the verse five. I, I'm already moving forward. Verse five, please. Look at what Paul says here. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, this is what Paul said when he addresses the church in Corinth. He said, I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? Because what they was happening, they was fussing with each other and they couldn't solve their disagreements and they kept going to the courts. Now, in the daytime, we got a lot of saved people who are in uh, secular jobs. We got a lot of saved commissioners. How many know we got saved commissioners? How many know some saved commissioners? Some saved people who love God who are now secular officers. It was not as much the case in this time. So really what Paul was saying, how dare you being saved? As another brother who's loving the Lord, y'all can't handle your situations that you're going to unjust people. To help settle your disputes. Shame on y'all. Y'all worship. Y'all praise. Don't let me get going. Y'all ba ba toto. Kike. Ka ta ta. That's speaking tongue. Y'all speaking tongue. And y'all can't settle nothing without going to unjust folks. He said shame on y'all. And you tell me there's nobody in all the church who is mature to handle these situations. In other words, do we have any saints? Do we have anybody who can give us wisdom? Do we have anybody who can give us insight? You tell me we ain't got nobody here growing yet? What are y'all doing that nobody in here is mature? Paul is calling for the saints to handle the reputation of God. Because what happens is when our lives are not in order and we can't get things reconciled, guess what we do? We mess up the reputation of God. So Paul is fighting for mature Christians to rise up. So his first call here is he's urging Christians to maturity. What I'm talking about, becoming saints. The other thing I'm talking about is Christians getting along with each other. Mm. Now what in the world is happening here when Christians can't apologize to each other? What is happening here? We got the same father, the same daddy. You say you pray, I say I pray. You say you read the word, I say I read the word. And how could light fight against light? How in the 
world that we can't get along with each other how come you always in a fight in a disagreement with some folks all the time let me tell you something some people sometimes all they can do is argue they can't apologize and they can't agree they got the wrong a it's called argue they need to learn to apologize and agree rather than doing that they always stirring up stuff you should be able to get along with another brother sister in the household of faith oh that's maturity and when you find yourself wrong it's called apologize and when you love somebody you don't be spending six months for an apology you don't waste the time, you don't cause uh, strife in the house and separation and all these other things that happen when you delay apologies. When you get mature, you just say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I, I thought different. I had a different perspective. Come on. And everybody had to, let me see all the people who ever apologized to somebody. Come on. I want to make apologies become normal again. Come on. I'm always right. I'm not always right. Now I want to be right. And in the end, I better be right. In the end, I better be right. But I'm not always right. So on my journey in life, there are times I have to apologize. Oh, I got the mic right now, but you don't need to think that there wasn't times that I need to apologize to my wife. Don't you know the thing that no, there's no exemption that because I'm the pastor or the leader, I didn't have a time to apologize. I have my moments to apologize. And you should have moments in your life where you apologize too. Or when you really start following proper relationship, parents will also know how to apologize to your children. Because you weren't always right. Come on, parents. Come off that high horse. You weren't always right. Remember, my dad spanked my brother. Because basically in those times, you could not go against an adult's word. If an adult said you were doing something, you were doing something. And that's how it was. But in this case, the teacher was wrong. But when my brother messed up at, he said, Daddy, she lied. <laughs> you didn't do that. He said, oh, she lying, Daddy. That wasn't me back there clowning. That wasn't me. That was such a, such a, such a, she lying. And so he stood up for himself. And my daddy spanked him and he cried. He never backed down from, his, from what, he, what, he, what was right. He cried. She lied. She lied. He, he kept on spanking him. Few weeks, a few days later, found out the, the, the truth. Teacher recognized what was happening. Came back and told my daddy. And what's what my daddy had to do? He had to apologize. Because what would have happened if he didn't? Resentment. Bitterness. Especially after it came full circle. Now, what, partly my dad was just chastising him because he took the teacher's word, got a spanking. But when it came full circle, sometimes things come full circle and stuff, we just get stubborn. We just, I ain't saying nothing. I ain't saying nothing. And then we try to act like we don't need to apologize. Come on, brother. brother keep, how you doing? Just want a hug. No, I need to hear you say something. I need you to see, I want you to know I want to know if you're growing through this. One way I know you are growing through this if you acknowledge your wrongdoing and we get an understanding. We not just want, we good now. Nah. See, and we we become I want to use this word and not be not being mean, we become cowards to facing things we need to face and being honest when we need to be honest. And this is what was happening here. They could not get along with each other. Paul came in, what's wrong with y'all? That y'all can't get along with each other. 
Y'all can't worship God. Get out the parking lot good without a good office. That's the worst thing to happen on a good Holy Ghost filled service. God done moved in him. People done got saved and joined the church. And Brother Sue, well, brother, brother Manny and Sister Sue can't get along. And before they get out the church parking lot, offense done hit, hit the church. God done blessed revival. And right in the midst of church service, two people arguing, can't get along, nobody can get along. Tell somebody, we got to get along. The other thing about maturity is we need to be ethical. I'm telling you, I got a lot. You better be writing notes because you in class today. All right. We need people to be ethical, examples, and exceptional. That's what he was calling for. Paul is taking the Christians to court. He said, I'm about to take you out of court today. And from the court, I'm about to take you to class. Look at verse 3. He's about to take you to class. All right. Ethical examples being example and exceptional. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and 3. I'm going to show you now he's taking them to class. 1 Corinthians 6 and 3. He says, know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life. So now he's going from our beliefs to our behavior. Do our beliefs affect our behavior? So he takes us to class and said, know ye not. In other words, let's test your biblical literacy. You're saved, but how much do you know about being saved? You're a Christian, but how much do you know about being a Christian? Do you know about Christian behavior? Know ye not. I'm telling you, one of the biggest things we're fighting for in the body of Christ is also biblical literacy. We got saved people who don't know nothing. You saved now. I ain't taking away from that. You blood bought, but you don't know anything about your salvation. You can understand this. I'm the same way me and Pastor Robin was talking about it yesterday. I got a GMC Terran vehicle. I, I traded in my other three-letter car. I had a BMW, and I gave up that BMW for a GMC. I did it quick, too. <laughs> BMC was nice, beautiful rims, leather on the inside. But when I had to keep taking it to the shop, I was done with it. I said, y'all can have this thing. Give me another, another three-letter car, GMC. Rode away with it. Matter of fact, put it up to the, to the, the Chevrolet lot, and I told them, y'all have a BMW today. They said, we don't sell BMWs, but you got one. Look out that window. It's yours, because I'm giving it to you, and I'm getting something else you got on your lot. One thing, and I told my wife, I was telling my wife, although I have this GMC, it got all kind of bells and whistles. I drive it, I do some basic stuff, but I don't know half of what this car does. It got more cameras on it than you can imagine. Somebody come on my roof, I got you. I got so many, I, you don't matter where you're around my car, I got cameras for you. Oh, I got it for you. I got so many bells and whistles in the car. Charity gets in and my daughter get in there, she press buttons, she do all kinds of things. Some of us like that with our salvation. We're saved, but we don't really know what it's all about. We need more biblical literacy. We need to know what God wants and what God expects. That's why he says, know ye not. Go to verse 9. He says it again in verse 9. He's taking them to class. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, be, be not deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves or mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul puts it in plain truth that I don't want y'all to be ignorant. You're saved, but you can't be ignorant. You love God, but you can't be ignorant. The worst thing to do is come to church for years and still be ignorant. Meaning unlearned. And when I say ignorant, I'm not talking about your capacity to learn. I'm not talking about capacity to learn. You have the capacity to learn, but we're talking about applying so you can learn. He says, I want you to know none of these things I've named, these behaviors, people living these lifestyles will go into the kingdom of God. Now, I know... I know we love everybody. This is one of the, the strong things about being Christian and knowing God. I know it, but heaven is God's home. If you can choose who comes in your house, why are you getting squirmish about who God chooses to come in his house? He says it clearly. There, there are some behaviors that will not come in my house. Some lifestyles that will not come in my house. Now, if you can lay the law in your house, why we got to make God this old lovey-dovey, squeezy God that he accepts anything? That everything, God can, see when God loves us, he loves us to change. And if you got rules in your house, how you think God, heaven is his home. Earth is his footstool. So you got to get it right on the footstool of God. You ain't going into his house. See, the house is where you rest at. You don't let everybody in your house. You let everybody in your house. You don't have a, you don't have a screening process in, at your house. It's called a door. You don't have a door on your front house. You tell me that I can pull up to your address and just walk on in. Because you don't have a screening process, a door that has a lock that even determines there are times that nobody's coming in. You tell me, and then you tell me on your house you don't have an alarm system that has sensory signals that if somebody pull up a window ain't supposed to, things go off because things are coming in your house. And you tell me God's supposed to let everything in his house. He tells us these things are not coming in. He gives us plain truth. Plain truth. That is, what it means is you can go to church and still not go to heaven. Because he's talking about behavior. Because he's talking about behavior and lifestyle. You can go to church, pay your dues and your tithes, sing in choir number one. That sing on first and third. Y'all don't know nothing about first and third, son. In choir number one with them robes on. Come on, y'all don't know. But if your attitude and life and conduct is not righteous, you still don't go to heaven. Yeah. Oh, I know it. We can all like you. We can all like you. Yeah. But if you don't meet God's prerequisites, you still can't go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He tells us that all unrighteousness is sin. And he, right here, he gives us no reason to live in an unrepentant state. No reason to live in an unrepentant state because he tells us in the next part uh, or the first part, go back to the first part of that, that verse 9, verse 9. Go back to verse 9, verse 9. Yeah, see that what he says, be not deceived. 
That's what, see, and there's a lot of deception that's going on that people are deceived. So he says, wait a minute, first I want to test your knowledge. Then he says, wait a minute, don't be deceived. And let me tell you something, the enemy has been telling lies to people since the foundation of the world. The first thing he did to Adam and Eve, to get them kicked out of a plush garden. Oh, the Eden was plushed. They had everything they needed. But the serpent representing Satan deceived them and told them they did not have everything they needed. The serpent said to Eve, don't, God don't really want you to not take of that forbidden fruit. See, that's a lie. Tell somebody, don't believe a lie. I was thinking about that old song, Don't Believe the Hype, when I was studying. I kept saying, don't believe the lie. Don't, don't, don't believe the lie. Some of y'all don't know that. That's good. You was in Bible study. <laughs> I'm telling you, and, and, and I kept thinking about Genesis when Eve and Adam took out a forbidden fruit because of a lie. A piece of truth with a little twist. Still a lie. False teaching. Still a lie. Not good teaching, still a lie. Erroneous teaching, still a lie. They believed the lie, took of the forbidden fruit, and got kicked out of a plush place. God had to protect the tree of eternal life because the serpent made them feel inadequate. Meaning you will be everything. See, that's how the devil trick us into sin. You'll be everything if you do this. Rather than Adam and Eve and Eve saying, God's our everything. He didn't hide anything from us. We're fearfully and wonderful made. Anything that we don't have, he will provide. See, you can't even take truth from a liar. You ain't heard me. You can't even take truth from a liar. What? Y'all didn't read the story when Jesus went in the wilderness and he was tempted 40 days? The liar was quoting scripture. Dash yourself down from the top of the Jerusalem. Lest he catch your, dash your foot against the stone. Take these stones and make them bread. If Jesus didn't know the word and say it is written, the devil's taking a little bit of truth and twisting it. Don't be deceived. There are lies out there that will keep you from knowing what God wants. These lies tell you can't please God. These lies, the Bible even tells us that Satan is what? The author of confusion. The author of confusion. If we don't be careful, we'll start living a lie. Tell somebody don't live a lie. The devil always will tell you what you can't be, what you can't overcome, and what you can't do. But don't live a lie. One of the erroneous teachings that I'm going to hit real quick it's the teaching of once saved, always saved. And they get mixed up with Hebrews 10. Go to Hebrews 10 through 13. I got to get you out of the lie. Because there's enough people, there's people who love God, who are Christian, and, but they live all types of ways because somebody taught them once they were saved, they was always saved. Meaning you can get saved in 1952 under a tent with Reverend Dr. Moses preaching and you got saved in 1952 under a tent and you got baptized and ever since that day you've been living like a hellion. But because in 1952 you gave your life to Jesus but since then you ain't done nothing God told you to do. You ain't live right. You ain't obeying. But because you was baptized and confessed Jesus in 1952 somebody tell you that you fine. It's a lie. 
Hebrews 10, verse 10. I'm going to start right in the middle of it, but I'll catch you up. By the which we were all, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Everybody say once for all. This is where the incorrect, part of incorrect teaching happens. People think because Jesus died once and for all for our sins, that because of that, even if we sin after it, we don't have to do anything because he died once and for all for our sins. They're missing it. Missing it. I'm going to get to the other part that's missing. Verse 11, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Let's pause to understand that once and for all, meaning Jesus have established the full, complete um, uh, a package for our salvation. He's bled and died on the cross, risen now at the right hand of the Father, and he, ne- he doesn't need to do anything else. He doesn't need to do anything else for man to access salvation. All right, don't get it. All right, get it. He doesn't need. All right, let's go to Hebrews 26. It's furthering the same conversation. Hebrews 10 and 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth. You better read your Bible. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking, it better be a fearful looking, for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So it's saying you becoming in trouble of being an adversary of God. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye that he be thought worthy who have trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Very clearly, you did it willfully, you basically got to repent again. If you willfully go sinning after you give me your life to Christ, you don't just sit there talking about I gave my life to Christ when I was 10. I gave my life to Christ when I was 15. You 30 now and been living in sin ain't repented since then. For we know that, for we know him that has, for, for we know him that have said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You don't believe me? Let's go to 1 John 3 and 8. Come on, I'm still preaching. I'm doing good. Let me see. Yeah, I'm doing good. 1 John 3, 8 through 10. Verse 8. He that committeth. Everybody see the word committeth? Anytime you see T-H at the end of the word, it means continually. T-H, it means continually. He that continually sin. Y'all reading your Bible? Is of read it 
If you read it, it'll help you stop sinning. No, I'm telling you, if you read it, it will help you stop sinning. He that committeth continually sin is of the devil. The only way you can continue to sin, the devil is driving you to do it. For the devil sinneth. The devil, this is what the devil does. This is how the devil behaves. He said it from the very beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That he may what? Destroy the works of the devil. Here it is, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Listen to this. In this, in this, the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil. Let me pause. By the fact that the Bible says if you keep sinning, the devil is driving you. Verse 10 say, in this. See, that's what a fight comes in your life to get out of sin. Because we'll know if you're really the children of God. Because the children of God don't just dwell and sit comfortably being no sin. You ought to be convicted. You come to church, don't worship, and praise God. And you know you ain't living, living right. There's something about if you really got the seed of God in you, the seed of God. You say, I can't keep doing this. I, Lord, you got to help me through this stuff. I cannot keep doing this behavior. I got to get myself right. See, 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 you, even as a Christian, there are times you may slip and there are times you may fall. But one thing about it you're not gonna waddle in it come on that's one thing you don't waddle in it see a pig he likes mud he likes mud and when a pig get into the slop he roll all in it and he said well I'm at home no no but not a Christian a Christian ought to be uncomfortable continuing to sin because if the seed of God is there you will say I got to get out of here that's what it's saying in this the children of God are manifest meaning we're going to know if you're the child of God or you're the child of the devil oh your fight means something yeah. Your fight to change means something. Your fight to get out of that situation means something. Your fight to live right means something. Sometimes when people struggle, that's what I look for. I want to see if they want to fight for the change. Come on, y'all. Y'all can see what I'm saying. I'm gonna read this last verse. Well, for this one right here, I think. I don't know if I'm gonna get to this thing. It's okay. Revelation 2, 1 to 5. God told me to make sure I get to this stuff. Revelation 2, 1 to 5. Let me show you this. Revelation 2, 1, 5 says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks. I know thy works. Listen to this. Talk to the church at Ephesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. All right? He said, I know their works. You got labor. You got patience. You can't stand. You, you stand up to people who, who are evil. You know people who are not true. And claiming that they be true for God. Verse 3. And has borne and has patience for my namesake. Has labor and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. What? I see your works. I see what you do. You feed the hungry. You clothe the naked. I see all the good stuff you do. However, wait a minute. I got something against you. 
because thou have left thy first love. What is this talking about? It's talking about when people have moved into basically religion and habit and just habits of just doing stuff, doing good and no relationship with God. They're doing it for fame, for fortune, and for themselves. And they're not doing it because they love Jesus anymore. They're doing it because they love themselves. They're doing good, but not for God. They're doing good, but it's only for themselves. They're now become religious, and they're only doing it for themselves and not because of Christ. He said, remember therefore, verse 5, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. He's talking to Christians who have gotten off track, doing good, but they're not doing it for God. He says, you have fallen, you need to say repent. And what? Do thy first works. Brother, do your first works over. Repent. Ask God to cleanse you again. Right? Ask God to cleanse you again. So that's what Christians do. If we do fall into sin, we say, Lord, forgive me. We don't just go around and say, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I ain't got nothing to say. You know, they walk around, I got saved in 1952 on the tent revival, and I'm fine. Right? So Jesus commanded them all because they have good works. There still is a need to repent because they have refused to have real relationship with God. And furthermore, he goes down to tell them if they don't repent, he'll remove the lampstand. That's what it says at the end of that. All right? That candlestick out of, out of his place except that repent. What that means is he'll remove his presence. It's a sign what it means, Ichabod. Kabod means the glory and the presence of God. Ichabod means God has removed his presence. It means we can still be coming to church and God ain't there. No results, no signs and wonders, no lives change, nobody getting reformed, nobody getting transformed. He has removed his presence. God said, y'all can continue, but I'm not with it. I'm telling you, and that happens to churches all over the world. They gather Sundays and weekdays and God's not interested anymore. God has extracted himself from the people. God has moved the candlestick. That's the light of God. That's the presence of God. He said, if you don't repent, I'll remove myself. Now, anybody who's been saved and been sinning, know there are times that while you are saved and sinning, you will still feel his presence. All right, nobody else has been saved and sinning then. I got to talk to some people who have been saved and sinning so they can bear witness to this. I was looking for a witness. Tell somebody we need witnesses. If you haven't been saved and have fallen into sin, there are times you will still feel God's presence. But don't you take it for granted. If you don't change, if you don't repent, he will remove his candlestick. He will remove his presence. You won't hear his voice no more. You won't hear warnings no more. God will leave you by yourself. God will leave you right there by yourself. If you don't start making changes, Holy Spirit is merciful. God is merciful. How many know he, anybody can say he blessed me anyway. Anybody can say he blessed me in spite of. Anybody can say I didn't do everything right, but he still blessed me and still kept me. Come on, come on. We serve a God who is still merciful, but all because he is merciful, we don't take, we don't take advantage of his mercy or treat it carelessly. This is what I like to say is the Bible says the Lord is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. But look at your neighbor and say, it's his mercy. 
not your mercy. So don't get it twisted. It's his mercy and he can decide how far to extend his mercy. So don't get all comfortable in being how you are and slow in sin. Because there are some people who all because God is merciful, they don't change. Oh, you know, you see parents know that there are some kids, you can look at them. Change is about to happen. You're going to look at them, look them in the eye. And on the inside, they, ooh, ooh, I better not do that again. Just look at them. There's some kids you look at them, they're looking back at you. You look at them, they're looking at you like, what? And they lying, so I ain't did nothing. Oh, mm -hmm. God knows he got some children like that. God, God knows he got some children who are stubborn and can't change until they get whooped and spanked and all that kind of stuff. And I told God, I don't want to be that kind of way. Now, I did have some time, but I told God, you ain't got to keep taking stuff from me and taking me through all this kind of stuff for me to say yes. There are some testimonies I do not want. You can have them. I want them. I want them. Like call brother, call brother, brother John up to the church. He got a mighty testimony. Brother John be shaking. I just thank God for being here today. I'm just making an example. Y'all know what I'm saying. Pastor Rob won't let me act it out. I was trying to show y'all an illustration. God will save you, but you'll be all broke up before by the time you do it. You can't have a walk straight. Can't see straight. Every time I got shot 15 times and I'm alive. Well, God bless you. I'm glad he saved you, but I want to get shot now once. You get my point. That's all I'm trying to say. Thank God he's, God still saved the man. He still saved him. But why you got to have this long testimony? I want my testimony just to be about blessing and favor and waiting on the Lord and just growing stuff. I don't want it to be all about chastisement. And I went to jail for 40 years and, and they adjudicated it and had to turn it around. And the whole church shout for three hours. And I shout too, but like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I ain't saying nothing. I don't want to have to go through all of that to get myself into a place of obedience. Y'all know there are some tough children who are hard to discipline. You put them on punishment, you take stuff from them, you do all kind of stuff. You're like, my God. What else I got to do? God doesn't want to do us that way. God want us to repent because of his mercy, because of his kindness, because of his love. Y'all getting what I'm saying? Tell somebody, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. I'm not going to finish today. I'm not going to finish today. Because the rest of it, too much. Let me read the scriptures, though. Put it on the screen. I'm not going to teach it. Oh. Mm. Y'all can handle a little bit more? Give me about 10 minutes. Y'all can handle a little bit more? All right. I'll stop in a little bit, but let me, let's go to the next point where he says, uh, go to verse nine, go to verse nine. He said, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived from false teaching and don't be deceived that I will judge you. Don't be deceived. Verse nine, please. Verse nine. Don't be deceived. I will judge you. All right. Verse nine. We in first Corinthians, I'm sorry. First Corinthians six. I'm sorry. We're giving bad instruction. First Corinthians 6. I don't flip back to the main verse. First Corinthians 6, verse 9. I appreciate you. Know ye not that an unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. The first thing he mentioned is neither fornicators. Take out your phone real quick. Take out your phone. Take out your phone. And type in there the Greek word, type the Greek word for 
fornication. The Greek word for fornication. Type it in there. Google it. The Greek word for fornication. What are you finding? What are you finding? What are you finding? Pornia. Pornia. Sound like a word called porn. We think fornication means sex before marriage. It includes that, but not the only thing. So the only thing we want to say is stop fornicating. And we think that just between sex before marriage. But fornication means all sexual immorality, including sex before marriage, right? So we need a broader definition of this thing called fornication. We need to understand what it means, all right? We need to understand what this thing means. I got to teach it today about this thing called fornication, all right? It means all forms of sexual immorality. That's why I'm praying as a pastor, like number four, for all single people to find a godly mate. Y'all need to clap your hands. Come on. Y'all got y'all gotta quit this stuff. Y'all got to quit this stuff because God has made humans also sexual beings. And unless you have a gift of restraint, you need to be praying too. I said unless you have a gift. And some people have a gift. Sometimes people are not moved. And some people are all right. You're fine. That's fine. If you got control like that, then you can pray slow. But if you ain't got control like that, you better get into some prayer. Why? Because God first made man a spiritual being. Adam made him a spiritual being. Then he made them a sensual, sensual being. Sensual. What that means? You got five senses. And because of five senses, now you move into sexuality. So he made man uh, spiritual, he made man sensual, and he made man sexual. See, it's the devil that perverts sex. God created sex. The devil didn't, the devil didn't create no sex. I said the devil didn't create no sex. I said it again, the devil didn't create it. The devil don't create anything. He, all he does is pervert what's created. All he does is manipulate what's created. He's no creator. He takes what God established and then he manipulates it. In other words, he's a liar. But God created sex. Tell somebody God created sex and sex is holy. What's wrong with these grown folks here today? I asked all the children to go to children's church and I got a whole bunch of squirmish adults. <laughs> it was like they're going to say sex on a Sunday morning. Well, yeah, I'm going to say sex on Sunday morning. People dealing with it. People struggling with it. We got to teach it. We got to pray about it. Come on, y'all. God made us spiritual. He made us sensual. Yeah, and he made us sexual. That's right. God did it. Yeah. Devil didn't do nothing. God did it. Oh, this is holy teaching. God did this thing. See, that's why we got to take our sexuality back from the devil. Because the devil is trying to pervert something that God created. And everything he made was good. That's Bible. We ain't got to hide nothing. Why do you think people struggle with it so much? 
Because it's good. That's right, Pastor. That's right. And the Bible says marriage is honorable. And in this perverted world, we're losing the honor of marriage. And we got to raise back up on how beautiful it is to have a godly spouse and to be married. It's a beautiful thing. One of the best decisions of my life was this woman right here in this beautiful dress right here who I married. Marriage is honorable. It's an honorable thing. Everybody says honorable. All right, I got to get through here. I told you I'm only on the first definition. I'm going to pray in a second. All right, but fornication also includes something uh, that is called wonton. W-A-N-T-O-N. And that's not Chinese food. Wonton. Write it down. Go look it up when you're home. Wonton. Talks about perverse sexual activity. It means a sexual promiscuous person, primarily a woman. It means sexually unrestrained, like prostitution. All right? Like prostitution. It means wanting, wanting, what's Wanting, y'all know that word? It means to hang around. It means to linger. Don't rush. Stay around on the street. Linger to attract others. Hang around a bit. Don't be in a rush. To tarry. It's a lustful spirit to attract other people. Prostitution. Also, uh, uh, um, this word fornication means a form of um, harlotry or playing the harlot. All right. All right. Um, it's, it means um, it's, you are the master to whom one is sold as a slave. See, we don't recognize that uh, pornography is filled with sex trafficking. That many people involved in pornography, maybe not, I don't know all the statistics, and I'm not I'm sure it's not all, all right, but a lot of them have been kidnapped, kidnapped children, kidnapped adults, sold into the industry of pornography through sex trafficking, have been made a slave through what is called fornication. Kidnap kids, kidnap adults. Don't you even understand that even now strip clubs, which is a form of holotry, are now advertising that they have made people better in life by pushing them through college and giving them the necessary funds to better themselves? Do you not understand that how the trick of the enemy is telling people if you want to finish your nursing degree and you don't have the money or the scholarship, just go find strip and get on a pole? And somebody be there to give you money and I made more money. I ain't saying nothing. And people are saying they made more money. I could make more money in a day because they have become sex slaves. Unethical. It's called fornication. It's called holotry. This is what pornography fully means. God help me. Fornication also includes adultery and incest. I'm going to come back to adultery in a second. Let me get down to that. That was fornication. Let's go to idolatry. All right. Y'all see that? The second one was idolatry. Y'all see that? Yeah. Idolaters. Idolatry includes not only worshiping false gods or false spirits, but selling yourself as a slave for fame and fortune. Oh. Selling yourself for success. 
Idolatry makes you say anything will do as long as I can have the money I want, as long as I can live in the house I want to live in, as long as I'm grand, because I'm tired of being poor. I'm tired of looking like I ain't got no money. I'll do anything for success, fame, and fortune. Idolatry. This is where Christians got to be careful because this is where secret societies are formed. They are formed in idolatry. You ever heard of Illuminati? Secret societies. You ever heard of Freemasons? I know. Be careful. Freemasons, y'all better be careful because anything that's a secret society is a part of idolatry. And we got to be careful. I know about frats and sororities, but I'm telling you, Christians, people got to be careful. Anything that's trying to make you have all these secrets and stuff, we ain't got no secrets. Secrets? Secrets? Now, I believe in confidentiality. Things are confidential. Certain things about somebody's life we don't expose. That's confidential. But secrets? Secret society? Secret handshakes and stuff? What? What are we talking about? What are we talking? This is idolatry. And I'm telling you, Christians, we got to be careful with some of these secret societies. Also, idolatry is also gangs. Gangs is a part of idolatry. It's a part of idolatry because it's a part of a cult system and it's a part of systematic bullying. That's idolatry. Secret codes, that's right, idolatry. Yeah, gangs and cults. So that's why churches, if they're not taught properly, a church can become a cult. Secret societies. The way things are handled, not like through like the Bible way, become secret. These things are forms of idolatry and anything that has systematic bullying. See, that's why, I, uh, not, not that all fraternities potentially or sororities are bad, but I knew I couldn't be a part of no frat. You were not going to take me out to no woodshed and whoop me to see if I'm going to be loyal. Because when the time you got me out of that woodshed and raised your hand at me, you was going to get something. Wasn't having it. You weren't gonna beat me into loyalty. You weren't gonna reduce my esteem and reduce my self-worth to show how dedicated I can be. That's idolatry. That's why I can't never be in no I could never be in no type of gang and things of that nature. I'm too independent. It ain't happening. I'm too it ain't happening. You ain't know. I know who I am. When you got, I, I, see, that's what gangs do all the time. And gangs take advantage of people who've been broken. Homelessness, fatherlessness, motherlessness. Not all the cases, but a lot of cases, people get swept up into this idolatry system for a sense of family and a sense of belonging. And that's why it's hard. It's hard to say you saved and you're a part of all of these other unrighteous organizations. Because it pulls you. That's why I'm telling you, be careful. Hear my words. Be careful. Anything that pulls you out of the rudiments or the teachings of Christ. Be careful. Systematic bullying. That's idolatry. Idolatry. He says, you are not to be in idolatry. It'll have you doing all kind of stuff in the name of that organization. Mm-hmm. 
Let's go to the next thing he said we not to do, and the people that are not going to enter in, nor adulterers, which means unfaithful. And this is what the real root part of adultery means. It means bringing in another. Adultery means to bring in another. It means another person to talk to. Another person to smile at. Another person to spend your moments with. Another person to lean on. See, if you're not careful, you could be committing adultery without having sex. Because it means to bring in another. You got your own husband, but why are you calling this man all the time for his advice? All the time, spending all the time with this man. No, that's the spirit of adultery. It means to bring in another. Because when you get married, the Bible says the two shall become one and they shall cleave to one another. But adultery makes you go somewhere else for affection. Another. Be careful when you marry and you start talking and say, I can't talk to her. I can't talk to him. Adultery is trying to creep in. Because you got to be able to talk to one another. You got to be able to have communication with one another. Because the moment you start saying, he ain't going to understand. The spirit of adultery is already present. It means to bring in another. The Bible even helps us because it tells us if somebody looks on somebody to lust and want them, they have committed adultery in their heart. That's what I'm trying to teach you. That adultery just means to bring in another. So many people think they hadn't committed adultery because they hadn't had sex. But you spend an inordinate amount of time with that wrong person all the time, leaning on them for support, advice, and all that other stuff. I ain't talking about relationships where you're getting professional advice and counseling and all those other things. That's righteous organizational type stuff where you go to and you get support. But that, even those things still need to stay within boundaries. Although even those things have to stay within boundaries. Come on now. Because there, there have been people who have committed adultery because they, they jumped over the boundaries of, of a professional relationship. All it's supposed to be is professional. I came to your office. You invited me. No, we ain't going out for no coffee. We had no coffee while we was in the office. We are not going out. No, we're not spending no extra time together. And you mess around, and when you're going through stuff, and you get lonely, how many know you can get lonely? How many know you can get vulnerable? Come on now. Somebody know you got knees. I already told you. Stop acting like, oh, God help me. Stop acting like you ain't got no knees. Half of the problem with the church and why we keep sinning is because we come to church acting like we ain't got knees. Go home and tell your wife, I got knees, girl. That's the husband. But the wife can go home and also say she got knees as well. We got to make this no one-way street because that's the other thing we mess up on, thinking that men only got knees. Women got knees too. Where the Bible says that a woman don't have a sex drive, come on, what's wrong with us? Even women got knees too. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm just trying to teach. Even in the Bible, I ain't even in this my verse. The Bible says that touch and intimacy in a marriage is so important that you're not supposed to go long periods 
without touching intimacy unless you agree through fasting and prayer lest you be tempted because of your inconsistency so you got to make sure one another is okay you may be okay but if the other person not okay then you're not okay come on y'all ain't saying nothing you can't have your spouse out there trying to fight through prayer and fasting all the time especially if there's no health concerns there's no health concerns going on in the body and got your spouse out there vulnerable got your spouse out there praying oh god oh god get me together oh god let me hold on oh god oh jesus i'm just going to fast another fast no you are there comfort one another come on you are there hold each other listen here we got single people we're trying to get in the, out the bed and we got married people we're trying to get back in the bed single people get out of that bed get out of that bed wait till your time and the mad people be like get back in the bed the bible calls it neglect and defraud god the bible says defraud ye not one another it's a form of fraud God didn't get you married just to see that's why in marriage marriage you just can't worry about your needs as long you are there to meet one another's needs that's why you got to be flexible and communicate with each other as well I didn't think I was gonna do a marriage seminar but ain't nobody know how you feeling you better talk to me ain't nobody know you got needs you you ought to know me by now maybe I don't you better keep talking it's your body it's your mind I'll listen it's my response to listen and I also it's my responsibility to open my eyes and see some things but that don't mean you don't talk because you know what happens also in marriages people are not the same when they first got married you, you got married when you were 20 years old 15 years old and I saw my love at the playground 15 she was 15 years old and I saw her walking down the street was she 49 she is not the same woman that she was when she was 15 and 19 when you married her she is not you got to update one another because you ain't the same person that you was two years ago but if you don't communicate then you look at each other all cross-eyed we drifting apart yeah you drifting apart because you don't talk you don't update each other we drifting apart yeah you drifting apart Y'all don't talk to each other. Y'all don't communicate with each other. Tell somebody, this is how the spirit of adultery comes in. Because people act like they ain't got no needs. People act like that ain't what God called us to. We got a whole bunch of church folks acting like they ain't got no needs. And God's the one that has created this stuff. Y'all, I don't know, I'm going to finish. Okay, they're pushing me. The next one is nor effeminate. I'll finish. I'll finish. We're almost there. Nor effeminate. Effeminate means soft to touch. It's describing men made soft. Infeminate. All right. Although we know there could be men who are not soft who are still into homosexuality. This means men made soft. It also means the word 
catamite, C-A-T-A-M-I-T-E. It's male-on-male sexual relationships. It's also a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness, which includes a young boy being maintained and trained for an older man. For his lustly desires. So it's not simply of a male who just practiced lewdness, but it's also the addictions to the sinful nature of sex. Infeminate. Men made soft. Men stripped through unnatural ways of having sex. Unnatural. Man on man. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. All right? Abusers of themselves. So what the Bible says... When you do something unnatural, you abuse yourself. You are made for that purpose. It's an abuse of your purpose or unnatural use of what God has created you to do. All right? So it means a sodomite or homosexual also relates to male and female. Verse 10. Here are the other groups of people that won't enter in the kingdom. Thieves. Everybody say thieves. Thieves. This means a person who's an embezzler. This also includes false teachers. They are thieves. Because they don't care about who they instruct. They abuse the confidence people have given to them. They abuse the confidence people have handed over to them. False teacher, they are thieves. Nor covetous. This is people who are greedy, eager to have more. Greedy, greedy, greedy. Uh, it also means, we think covetousness just means wanting more, but it also means being so stingy you hold on to everything you have. It means you defraud people. You act like you ain't got it, but you got it. Covetousness. You're holding it. You're defrauding people to make it seem like, all right, matter of fact, it's like coming to you and saying, hey man, I'm going through a hard time. Got real tears too. You know, some people can cry on the spot. They'll swindle you right out of your money. They can cry on the spot. They cry impromptu. Put on that show. And they go crying. I really need some money. They got money. They just swindling you out of yours. This is what this, what this is talking about. People, but part of it is covetousness. Some people just want to take advantage of some people. Covetousness. The other one is, say, drunkards. Now listen to this. This means to drink habitually, all right? Drink habitually. I know that's going to bless some of y'all because y'all don't drink habitually. I know that's going to, some of y'all just happy because he said drink habitually. It's like, oh yeah, thank you, Lord. He didn't say drink habitually. The Bible says drink not wine wherein in excess. Okay. We can't mess with that. All right. We know not to just have a sip is a sin. Okay. Some people look for those little spaces in the Bible. To drink habitually, but it means to the place that you become an alcoholic. Listen, here's the key part. Incapable of being and staying sober. And when you can't stay sober, you can't walk straight. You can't judge properly. You can't discern properly. You have distorted thinking and difficulty navigating and making decisions. If you're not careful, you can even be drunk on things. So it's not just 
Sometimes being drunk on alcohol, you can get drunk on anything that you can't see straight. You can get drunk on anything that you can't be have distorted views and wrong priorities. Nor revilers. I think I'm going to finish. Y'all helping me. I appreciate you all because I want to teach this. Nor revilers. Reviler is one who speaks ill towards others and has the spirit of dissension. So when they speak, they're looking to break up something. Revilers are commonly recognized by their bad attitude and ill will. They never got nothing good to say about nobody. This person is constantly verbally abusive. They use vile language and vile words. They criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner and condemn and attack others. This includes discrimination, racism, and hatred. It is the spirit of the devil. Racism, the spirit of the devil. Discrimination, the spirit of the devil. Not liking somebody because of the color of their skin. When you didn't choose the color of your skin, your own self. What nerve you got? You didn't even choose. Matter of fact, you didn't even choose your, you, you didn't even choose your height. You didn't even choose your genetics. All that was chosen for you through who your parents were coming down the line. How you somehow gonna walk in pride and only like your race better than somebody else's race and you had nothing to do with even who you are today. You didn't choose that you was gonna be 5'5". Five, five. You didn't come at the, at the woman and say, I think I'll be 6'1". What's wrong with it? This is pride, but it leads to people uh, having a false sense of view of who they are and they begin to have discrimination and racism. Ain't no racism going into heaven. Ain't no heaven. God ain't having no protests up in heaven. The only protest he had, he ended. The Bible says that I beheld Satan in light lightning. He had a protest with Lucifer and he kicked him out. Y'all think God plays in heaven. He don't play in heaven. Nor extortioners. We're doing good. We're going to finish at verse 11. We're right there. Nor extortioners. This is people who are not thieves. They are robbers. Everybody know the difference between a thief and a robber? A thief, they take from you, but they're sneaky. They'll steal, but they steal differently. They're a thief. They sly. But a robber is bold and violent. So even robbers, ain't no robbers going to be up there in the kingdom of God that's reviled. These people who are bold and violent will take what you have right in your face. None of these things we've taught about, all these behaviors, none of it will enter into the kingdom of God. Here's verse 11 and I'm finishing, we're praying. Here it is. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. I, I, I love this verse here. And such was some of you. It means that if anything about the church, we should have all kind of testimonies in here. Because everything I just read about, somebody in here is saved from. Oh, Jesus. Everything I just preached about, the things that are not going to end, somebody here, I'm in the scripture, you ain't got to worry about it. I'm in there. Don't worry about where, where at, I'll testify. See, that's what we don't do around here. We don't spend time worried about what sins people came out of. We all came out of some form of sin, some type of situation. You hear what I'm saying? And the Bible says, and such were some of you. Here it is, steady you on your feet, I'm about to pray. But ye are washed. 
but ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God we hope you've been blessed by this fresh word from Truth Gatherers Dream Center Church Pastor Joseph Davis and the congregation invite you to join them you can find more information by following them on social media just look up Truth Gatherers Dream Center Church And we pray that God will bless you richly and abundantly in the coming days, knowing that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him.